Welcome. Holy to- hour of power. Go ahead, Terry. No, I'm Jesse, on duty. You know what about my brother? you, buddy? I'm so, yeah. I, I'm so busy this morning. I already just said, oh, yeah, I'm going to get back on the air. Hey, welcome, Jesse. And, and Jess, I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to share the gospel with mm. anyone who's listening. And we, I mean, I'm just getting texts from people right now. They said, I just want to thank you for your love for Jesus Christ. And this was like 15 years ago. This person said, I met you. I was a lighthouse rep. It's changed my life. And I just say, you know what? Any good we do comes from God, and we thank him for it. But just people are inter- being introduced to the person of Jesus Christ through, through, through our ministry here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. It doesn't get any better than that, brother. No, you're right. And uh, for us as Catholics, our faith is so incredible, Terry. We not only pay particular attention to different days. Yes. Like tomorrow, we're going to be starting Ash Wednesday, right. which, is a whole, which is a whole season in the Catholic Church. <clears throat> but right now, February, we're also going to be celebrating Valentine's Day in a few short weeks. But, but February is also dedicated to the Feast of the Holy Family. What a, so, so again, as Catholics, yep. we, we, we understand the importance, Terry, yes, we do. Of, of, of tradition and and a celebration, and the power of ritual. Terry, there's a couple things I want to mention that I have as news items. I do too, brother. Hit him. Hit us. Yeah, I have a, I have a few. So here's a... Yeah, hit me. The, the Houston church shooter identified as transgender. Yeah, hmm. interesting. With yeah. a long criminal history. The shooter who opened fire in a Protestant church in Houston, Texas has been named as Ganesi Moreno, a woman who also identified as a man named Jeffrey. Terry, these guys are a very small part of the population, and yeah. yet these transgenders, when you look at these mass shootings, yeah. they seem to have a disproportionate... Of course. Uh, disproportionately, they seem to represent mass shooters when you compare them to heterosexuals. Yeah. And they're a very small, small part of the population. Yep. And in, Arch, Archbishop John Wester of Santa Fe, New Mexico, yes. who knelt down before the Black Lives Matter flag, uh, he's also praising John Podesta. Oh, my God. Newly appointed climate official and self-proclaimed Catholic John Podesta last week, uh, Archbishop John Wester praised him for listening to him cite Pope Francis' exhortation Laudate Deum on the environment to argue for more stringent environmental laws. Uh, the Archbishop uh, John Wester says, I think John Podesta will listen to faith leaders and moral arguments. Archbishop Wester, in a leaked email exchange, uh, he says Podesta once discussed plans to plant the seeds of the revolution against the U.S. bishop and their stances. Also, John Podesta has been involved in what's called spirit cooking, which is a mockery of the Catholic Mass and Holy Communion. Uh, he's participated in these spirit cooking sessions with a high-level witch from Hollywood, California, called Marina Abramowick. Finally, the judge takes Bragg to task for throwing book at Vax Dodgers. <laughs> so a state Supreme Court justice thwarted New York County District Attorney Alvin Bragg's attempt to prosecute two New Yorkers who had used fake vaccine cards. In his ruling, Justice Brendan Lantry 
also slammed uh, this uh, district attorney Bragg for his apparent hypocrisy as he routinely dismisses charges of almost other crimes. But boy, oh boy, don't get caught with a fake vaccine card in New, in New York, Terry. Well, here's some more good news. Big win against COVID tyranny. Court rules Trudeau's emergency orders against citizens as illegal, which we all said at the time, but it had to take the court to go through it. Here's another good news story. Uh, this is, I love it. The Chiefs kicker, Harrison Butker, he's back to the Catholic faith because he had gone to confession. He's talking about this in an interview, and I just think it's awesome that he said, yeah, you know, I, I, I went back to confession and got me back into the good graces with God. So praise God. And you know, Jesse, I didn't see a minute of the game. I, I, I was busy with my grandchildren. Yeah. But what I was happy to hear on the news the following day is the owner of the Chiefs and the uh, one of the chief the quarterback for the Chiefs all praised God for their win. They didn't say, "Yeah, it was me. I had such a good arm. I'm so talented." No, they they gave glory to God, and I thought that was uh, appropriate. So I just wanted to say kudos to them. Um, I, I have no interest in the game, but when I hear the coach and the owner. Uh, football coach saying the same thing about praising God. Well, it sounds like they're some men of faith, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I do too, Terry. Let's. Uh, oh, let's one more thing, to... Jesse. One okay. more thing. Go Just ahead. so you know, the Dutch former Dutch prime minister, uh, pray for his soul and his wife. They died together. They were euthanized at age ninety-three because they decided, you know what, life isn't worth living. Let's just check out. No belief in the afterlife, and I just find it so. Uh, tragic that the Dutch church, if you remember in the 60s when these people were alive, they just fell apart on things like euthanasia and wouldn't hold the line. And this is the fruit of it. It's bad fruit, man. Those two people died recently together, and they had no idea that this was offensive to Almighty God because of what they said. They thought, well, why be a burden for anybody? But you see what happens when you lose the purpose and meaning of life? So God have mercy on the former prime minister and his wife who committed suicide together. Yeah. Objectively speaking, yeah. suicide is a mortal sin. Of course. If it's done with grave knowledge, That's right. deliberate consent, full knowledge, deliberate consent, uh, and it's grave matter. Yeah. Now, if if you don't know that that's a mortal sin. If there's some type of, of course. if you don't have full knowledge or you didn't do it deliberately, there's right. some type of psychological, mental illness issues, Different then it would, be, it, it would be a venial sin. That's right. But uh, nonetheless, uh, suicide is under the fifth commandment, thou shall not kill. And that also means that you can't kill yourself. Yeah. Okay. Hey, hey Jesse, before you go to the God, could you do the book of James today? Because I'm, yeah. I'm calling you right on the spot. But yeah. that whole, we just started the book. We're going to get interrupted tomorrow with um, Ash uh, Wednesday. But I'm going to recommend that. It's a short book to read, but it really gives us focus, especially when we are dealing with the tragedy that's going on in the world and in the church and the sufferings that we're being uh, put up through. So it'd be the beginning of the book of James. We started yep. Monday. Today, it just continues. James chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Uh, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen. Blessed is he who perseveres in temptation. Mm -hmm. Notice, persevere, that means you have to fight through it. Exactly. For when he has been proven, he will receive the crown of life that he promised to those who love him. Notice, so you have to, what do you mean be proven? That means you have to endure through it. You battle through it through faith, through prayer, 
and through ascetical practice, monastic practices like penance. It says, no one experiencing temptation should say, I am being tempted by God, for God is not subject to temptation to evil, and he himself tempts no one. So that would be anybody who says that God tempts me. Uh, that, that's, that's that Flip Wilson theology. The devil made me do it. God made me do it. No, God nor the devil can make you do anything. You have free will. All, all the devil can do is suggest and you can consent. But God is not in the business of, of causing people to fall into sin. But God tempts no one, the Bible says. Bible says, rather each person is tempted when lured and enticed by his desire. That desire, we call that in theology, concupiscence, our fallen nature, those down, those uh, those inclinations towards sin and evil. Bible says, then desire conceives and brings forth sin, and when sin reaches maturity, it gives birth to death. So notice that there's an organic development in evil. It starts off small, yep. but it could bring forth death. We would call that it starts off with venial sin, small sin, but it, it, if it continues, it matures to mortal sin, sin unto death. So we see right there the theology of venial and mortal sin in that verse. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. All good giving and every perfect gift is from above, talking about heaven, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no alteration or shadow caused by change. In other words, God doesn't change. Mm. So when people try to change doctrine or change things that cannot change, why can't the Bible change and doctrine change? Because the Bible just told us God can't, can't change. Exactly. God doesn't change. It says, He willed to give us birth by the word of truth, that we may be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a great reading. Great, yeah, great we're, advice. Yeah, we're born, we're born through the word of God. It starts at baptism. Yeah. We're fed through the word of God in the Eucharist and the sacraments. And then our heart, our intellect is formed by the word of God through reading the gospels and hearing the gospels proclaimed. And so that's what, the, that's what James, the cousin of Jesus, is talking about, the bishop of Jerusalem. And Jesse, just a t- note on that. The book was written before 50 A.D. That's what the scripture scholars that I've read, and I just think find that very interesting. All right, well, let's bring— Very the, early on, yeah. Very, very that's the point, early, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. Let's get the smartest guy into the room. Come in, Bishop Sheen, full Sheen ahead. This relates to our unfortunate euthanasia people. Bishop Sheen says, A person who believes in nothing beyond this world is very impatient. Because he has only a limited time in which to satisfy his sordid wants. And I think of that, I, I'm, I think, Jesse, one of the challenges we're faced with in our culture today is suicide is on its rise. We have a lot of funerals with suicides here at our chapel. And I really do believe people are so frustrated because they think, if this is all I have and I'm unhappy and I have no hope, then why do I want to hang around? And that's unfortunate. Hey, hear the music. When we come back, we'll get going on uh, our next topic. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Jess and I, we're not considering that. We're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Jess Romero, Terry Barber, we'd be billionaires. Stay with us, family. We'll be back with more. Inspire you to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. We're back, Jesse. I'm I'm excited about this letter. Go ahead. Hit it, Jess. Yeah, there's a letter to the American church. Mm-hmm. It's a new documentary. Yes. It uh, was put out by the Epic Times. Mm-hmm. It's the letter. The, there's a, a short little clip 
Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? I'm convinced that the American church has arrived at a significant moment of truth. We are only 75, 80 years removed from three separate regimes that killed 60 to 70 million people intentionally. The parallels with where the American church is now to where the German church stood in the face of the Nazi regime are unavoidable and grim. Churches need to understand really what Marxism is, which is to destroy the church, to destroy the word of God. So if you capture the seminaries, you capture the pastors, you capture the laity, you capture the soul of the world. Christianity is not just about saying Jesus loves you and then going to heaven one day, but that there's a war that's raging. The church is weakening, which is why Marxism is ascendant in America today. This is the hour of the American church. This is from New York Times bestselling author Eric Metaxas. Yep. Uh, this new riveting film challenging audiences to take a stand, to speak out, to take action in the face of evil. This documentary put out by Epic, Epic uh, Times, Letter to the American Church, is a documentary adaptation of Eric Metaxas' latest book of the same name. So Eric guides audiences to the striking similarities between the church and Hitler er, in Hitler's early 1930 Nazi Germany, the political regimes of Mayo, Mayo and Stalin, mm-hmm. and modern-day America and her church. The historic and present parallels are unavoidable and grim. But uh, one, one br- man bravely and boldly spoke up in 1933 to warn the German church of the impending doom from Nazi the Nazi regime. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Oh, yeah. The majority of the church of his time, he was a Lutheran, uh, chose not to listen or to take action. Therefore, Hitler continued his reign of terror and death and destruction. And for the last hundred years, Marxism and communism has continued to evolve and spread throughout nations slowly and silently infiltrating America. So in this documentary that I would recommend people watch, oh, yeah. Letter to the American Church, you can watch uh, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, Dr. James Lindsay, uh, David Englehart, Robin Coy, Seth Gruber, uh, Victor and Eileen Marks, and other leading voices in a movement that's sounding the alarm to a sleeping American church and God's people everywhere. Eric Metaxas delivers a, a, a chilling clarion call to the body of Christ to be modern-day Bonhoeffer. Amen. If the church does not wake up from her, her slumber to clearly understand Marxist doctrine, the tactics that are used to manipulate her into compliance with it, the national and international leaders and corporations who are promoting it and which direction America is headed in, we will certainly experience the same fate of previous totalitarian regimes. Audiences will see that silence in the face of evil is itself evil. And Eric Metaxas and his colleagues agree that this is the hour of the American church. Terry? And just so you know, I spoke with Bishop Strickland this morning. 
I know as text, he endorses this movie. He wants Catholics to watch it. And we're going to talk tomorrow on his show about this very same thing. Also, Jesse, did you notice the German church, the prelates, putting their hand up, Heil Hitler? Did you see that image? Mm, I just yeah. find that uh, interesting because I think of, you know, high officials, you named some in the, in the Good to Know file this morning, that are just supporting the Biden administration, which, let's be honest, is evil. Come on, killing unborn yep, babies, yep. homosexuality, I mean, promoting it. I see the connection that they're saying, and we have to speak up. I hear too many people in the church saying, well, the government says it's legal. Who cares if the government says abortion is legal? It's, it's offensive. It's mortal sin, objectively, <coughs> to kill innocent life. And so I agree with what he just said, <coughs> that this is the time to speak up. And I would say it's a sin of omission to be silent in the world today as a Christian. Yeah, Terry, uh, this, is, this is definitely... This is the 11th hour, oh, let's yeah. be honest. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't, I can't say it any other way. This is... It's a fact. Yeah, this is the 11th hour. Uh, he, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a Lutheran pastor. He died uh, in 1945. Famous. In a, in a Nazi concentration camp at Flossenburg. He was killed by hanging. Wow. Uh, and they hung him, Terry, uh, on false charges. He was, he was an innocent man. Wow. And he said right before his execution, he said, quote, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Amen. Not to act is to act. And, and uh, yeah, we need more people like him. We need more people like St. Catherine of Siena's who was willing to rebuke the Pope in her time, Terry. Yeah. I, I don't have his quote, Jesse, but you probably have it in your head. Yeah. You remember him saying that, hey, you're, you, people aren't worried about what the Germans are doing and the Nazis are doing because they're not coming after me. But he named a oh, bunch. Yeah, remember that yeah, quote? He said, I named everybody, but then they came after me. And I see this right now. We're saying, well, you know what? We're still living comfortable lives. Jess and I, we are. We have food on the table. We have a roof over our head. I mean, hey, we're very comfortable. But... We can't be too comfortable in this world. And the reason is, is because of the, the sense of the salvation of souls as being number one. Yeah. As a matter of fact, Jesse, I'll just say, say it right up front. The bishop here in uh, San Gabriel region called me this morning, talking to me about the spiritual warfare conference. You know, okay, fine. And I told him, I said, you know what? The only thing we have, our major concern is in our ministry, Bishop, is the same thing you should have. And I assume you do. And that is the salvation of souls. Because if souls are saved... Everything is saved. If souls aren't saved, uh, then uh, nothing is saved. And he agreed with me. So I'm going to be meeting with him. I ask our listeners to pray for me because every time I meet a successor of the apostle, I'm always humbled by it because of his office. Yeah. But again, Jess, um, I've met bishops who, you know, and I even, I even did this to our bishop. I even reminded him of his promise that he made for the deposit of faith. Like I made a promise when I got married on the altar, and he said, yes, I did say that, that I would pass on the deposit of faith. I made that promise. I said, Bishop, that's all we do here. We want to keep our promises. So my point is, this Bonhoeffer guy, he's inspirational. He's not Catholic, but I'll tell you what, Jesse, I'm sure he's inspired Christians of all denominations. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's another famous German 
Navy uh, junior oh. officer named Martin Nemo. That's right. Yeah. And uh, and and his father was a pastor. Yes. Uh, he was a naval officer. Right. And and here's what he said. This is great. Yeah. He he said this during. Uh, he said it's called first they came for the communists and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. Then they came up. Then they came for the Jews. Hey, and hey Jesse, Jesse, up. time out. I have the exact quote here because okay. you're, you're kind of summarizing. It. it says first they came for the communists and go. I did not speak out because I wasn't a communist. Uh-huh. Then they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. <laughs> then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because... I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Great quote. I just think that says Amen. it all. Okay, I'm looking at, okay, yeah, Martin Niemöller was a, was a prominent Lutheran pastor. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it says uh, in, uh, in the 1920s and early 30s when Hitler came to power. So there wow. you got two, two Lutherans. God bless these guys. Exactly. Uh, these guys stood up and, and they spoke truth to power. Mm. And that's a, that's exactly what we're called to do. Yep. Now, uh, it, it, like St. Catherine of Siena spoke, spoke truth to power as well. She said this about speaking truth to oh, power. this is great. She said, quote, Yes. We have had enough exhortations to be silent. Mm-hmm. Cry <laughs> out with a thousand tongues. Amen. I see the world is rotten because of silence. Close quote. St. Catherine of Siena. Pray for us. As, as Catholics, remember, uh, Catechism 2447 says, instruct and advise the ignorant. Amen. And I'll tell you why all of this is happening right now, Terry, tell in us, our Jeff. culture. It's because, and, and, and how do you fix America? I'll tell you how to fix America. I'll yeah. make it very simple. Yep. This is the way you fix America. Put Jesus Christ, Amen. our Lord, back in all the places you asked him to leave. Yep. Put Jesus back in every home. Amen. Put Jesus back in every school. Amen. Put Jesus Christ back into government. Put Jesus Christ back into the church. And put Jesus Christ in your heart. That's how we fix America. You nailed it, Jess. Well said. And again... To me, Jesse, this is what we have to do right now. We have to speak up with the truth, with charity and clarity. And I, I, I know I keep bringing this one statement up because the church needs to do this. And right now, as Bishop, Bishop, no, Bishop Barron said, it's a sign of a corrupt church that stops thinking deeply about the truths of Christianity. A church that is not, that is against being precise about his teaching is a corrupt church. And this right now is ambiguity in the church. And I'm going to say it. Because Bishop Barron will back me on this. The church is corrupt right now because of its ambiguous teachings. And people, just think about, Jesse, what we're going to be talking about later in this this letter to the American church. Think about people who have been misled regarding homosexuality. And they've lived their life in uh, decadence because no one told them that it was offensive to Almighty God, that God loves them just the way they are. And that was a lie. And that's what we are willing to put on the line, Jess Romero, Terry Barber, and that is we're not going to placate and say, oh, it's okay. No, we're going to give you the truth with charity because the most merciless thing we can do is let someone wallow in their sin. Yep, and as a servant of God, Father John Harden said, yeah. 
quote, I can honestly tell you the future of the church in our country depends heavily on the zeal of lay Catholics like yourself. He said that in San Diego to me personally. I was recording him and I put that in my book, Jesse. That quote touched me big time saying, and it really just supports what Fulton Sheen said in the mid 70s when he said, who's going to save the church? That's right. And what did he say? He said, not our bishops, not our priests, our religious. It's up to you, the people of God. The venerable Fulton Sheen said that, what, 50 years ago. That's why we're fired up. I'm telling you, people say, well, aren't you aren't you scared right now? Are you kidding me? What am I? I only have one scare, and that is mortal sin. And how do I stay out of it? I went to confession this morning, folks. Why? Because I'm a sinner. And I would encourage you to get the confession. It's good for the soul. Jess, what do we have up next? Up next, we're going to be talking about don't tread on me. Don't tread on the Holy Eucharist. Exactly. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Yes, see, we're going to be talking about what the source and summit of the Christian life. This article gives the answer to why so few people believe in the real presence. Hit it, brother. Don't tread on me, says Jesus. This is by Professor Fred Nazar. God love him. So what is the most extended heresy in in cathodom, especially among priests, bishops, and cardinals? The denial in acts of the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharistic crumbs. Jesus is physically present in any crumb resembling bread under normal weight, even even if less than 2% of an inch, 64ths of the... Of about, is about 0.4 millimeters, half a centimeter. This is confirmed by three unquestionable sources. Dogma, Council of Trent. I uh, won't read the whole thing, Canon 3. I'll just wait. If anyone denies that in the venerable sacrament of the Eucharist, the whole Christ is contained under each form and under every part of each form, when separated, let him be anathema. Uh, Canon 4. If anyone says that after the consecration is completed, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ are not in the admirable sacrament of the Eucharist, but are there also in in us while being taken and not before or after, and that in the host are consecrated particles which are reserved or which remain after communion, the true body of the Lord does not remain, let him be anathema. An analogy. If you break a mirror, each piece would reflect your image until it gets to a minimum scale where it can't reflect where it can't reflect it under plain sight. An atomic scale mirror could reflect light, but not the image. Analogies are never perfect. They try to reduce and simplify a concept to make it more comprehensible. In the Eucharist, each part becomes Jesus himself. Not an image, like in the mirror analogy, until the particle mirror piece is so small that that when there's no substance of bread, not enough to resemble a crumb, it means there's no substance of Christ remaining from the transubstantiation. Lost particles of flour lack substance and, there, and therefore can't participate in the transubstance. This explains why the real presence isn't detected by sight alone, but by touch and above all, uh, above all, taste of bread. And this does not depend on diatropes, but on the mass size. It is dogmatically defined in the Council of Trent that every particle of the sacred host is Jesus Christ in body, blood, soul, and divinity. For this reason, the tiniest particle that might fall to the ground is exactly the same as if the whole host fell. 
And if particles fall to the ground, it is dogmatic belief that it is the, it is the same Jesus Christ, his body and his blood that are now on the ground. It is heresy to say that the moment the particles touch the ground, there's no more real presence of Christ. Yet many b- uh, priests believe this nonsense. Even an EW, EWTN priest aired that notion without retraction. Let Very- me throw one more thing in. Mysterium Fide was written in 1965 by Pope Paul VI, right at the close of the council. Now, why was that written there? I read it because... People were denying the consubstantiation teaching of that the bread becomes, under the appearance of bread, becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. So he ended up writing this short document because there were people at the council. Are you ready for this, Jess? Oh, surprise, surprise, that we're trying to say that it's consubstantiation with. It's not transubstantiation. We have that today. I've even had people in my lifetime, Jesse, priests tell me, Vatican II did away with consubstantiation. I'm like, what? Because it's not there. They didn't read it. But they, the impression is, I mean, transubstantiation. They don't believe in transubstantiation. That They believe in consubstantiation. With, under the, and so that, here's the point I'm making. Paul VI, back in 1968, 67, had to come out with other documents. One was the creed of the people of God, summarizing the faith. In the 1960s, after the council, everything was up, Jesse, especially on the Eucharist, and people just didn't know. And that continued for, what, 60 years? And we wonder why there's a lack of reverence for the Blessed Sacrament? It's because of what happened right after the council, in my opinion. Yep, that's it. What about the general instruction of the Roman Missal? It's all there. Germ 280 says, If a host or any particle should fall, it is to be picked up reverently, and if any of the precious blood is spilled... The area where the spill occurs should be washed with water. And this water should then be poured into the sacrarium yep. in the sacristy. In the sacristy. And describe what a sacrarium what does, Jesse. Is a, it's a special basin right. in the room next to the sanctuary yep. that has a drain directly into the ground. Mm-hmm. In this way, the natural elements are returned to the earth in a dignified manner. Yep. This procedure is taken one step further in an older instruction from a document entitled De defectibus, where it states, if the consecrated host or any particle of it falls on the ground, it should be reverently taken up and the place where it, it fell washed and slightly scraped, the dot or scraping being put into the sacrarium. And we have and, one of those at our chapel. It's so beautiful, and we use it. Go ahead. And Pope John Paul II wrote in Redemptionis oh, Sacramentum, uh, paragraph 93, the communion plate for the communion of the faithful should be retained so as to avoid the danger of the sacred's host or some fragment of it falling. And that's in, uh, again, paragraph 93. But is Sorry, anybody talk- listening? Because no, 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 no. all these Eucharistic miracles that took place. Nope. Why don't you talk about that one, Jesse? Eucharistic miracles confirmed Jesus' physical presence in the Eucharistic crumbs. That's right. The minuscule particles barely seen turned red on the communion plates an image is worth a thousand words and there's a picture that you can't see but Terry and me can see oh, yeah. in the article oh yeah it's a it's of a it's, it's of a communion plate and it's got small little drops of blood on it it's uh, and it's undeniable that's where they had particles of the holy eucharist and they turned to little drops of blood so let me describe it to you here mm-hmm. uh 
there were four consecutive Eucharistic miracles in different years in the same church, 1992, 94, 96, all pointing to Eucharistic abuse. Eucharistic miracles in the same place never happened in the history of the church. Mm. The first one in 1992 was about the priest not purifying the corporal as instructed in the Roman Missal and confirmed in 2024 by Redemptionis Sacramentum, paragraph 120, where it says, Let pastors take care that the linens for the sacred table, especially those which will receive the sacred species, are always kept clean and that they are washed in the traditional way. It is praiseworthy for this to be done by pouring the water after the first washing done by hand into the church's sacrarium or into the ground in a suitable place. After this, a second washing can be done in the usual way. The second miracle in the same year is the most notable miracle for the church. They discovered that the Eucharistic crumbs on the two plates used for distribution of communion in two consecutive masses had turned into blood. What was the abuse? The priests never scrubbed the crumbs into the chalice to drink them and never purified the communion plate to prevent abandoning Jesus and leaving him in risk of being tossed on the ground. Incredible. What about the third one? These are miracles in our own lifetime, Jesse. Yes. yes. The third miracle was about not purifying the vases as instructed by the Missal, confirmed by Redemptionis Sacramentum, paragraph 119. It says, The priest, once he has returned to the altar after the distribution of communion, standing at the altar or at the credence table, purifies the paten or ciborium over the chalice, then purifies the chalice in accordance with the prescriptions of the missal and wipes the chalice with the purificator. Mm -hmm. Where a deacon is present, he returns with the priest to the altar and purifies the vessels. It is permissible, however, especially if there are several vessels to be purified, to leave them covered as may be appropriate on a corporal on the altar or on the credence table. And for them to be purified by the priest or deacon immediately after Mass once the people have been dismissed. Moreover, a duly instituted acolyte assists the priest or deacon in purifying and arranging the sacred vessels either at the altar or the credence table. In the absence of a deacon, a duly instituted acolyte carries the sacred vessels in the credence table and there purifies, wipes, and arranges them in the usual way. And then you have some beautiful pictures, Terry, of, of of people of priest, oh, yeah. uh, and and the and uh, the miracles of the Eucharist, picking up the sacred uh, body of Christ as it falls to the ground. There, you got little cartoon pictures mm-hmm. of an, of another priest where the Eucharist starts bleeding inside of a ciborium. Yeah, the fourth and last miracle happened in 1996, when the communion in the hand was introduced in Argentina. The priest didn't check if the if the priest took the host of the mouth. A person took the consecrated host of the hand and left it on an iron chandelier. Unbelievable. When the priest placed it in a purifier vase with water, it turned into flesh. Ten years later, was proven to be part of a living, tortured human part by, by Dr. Ricardo Castañón's lab analysis in New York. I'm looking at a picture here. Yeah. Uh, of uh, Blessed Carlo Acutis. Yes. When he was only 14 years old. <laughs> He was contacted contacted by email, or he contacted by email a priest in Buenos Aires to get information to add them to the 136 Eucharistic Miracles exhibition that this young man had prepared. Blessed Carlo Acutis, pray for us. Wow. You know, Jesse, this is why it's important to talk about the Holy Eucharist. When we think about how the lack of reverence 
in Catholic churches, it's because they haven't been taught this. This is a very critical point. Even our grandchildren, Jesse, I know you and I both have grandchildren. Yeah. They have to understand, even at an early age, it's Jesus Christ that yeah. we're receiving. And if we don't do that when they're in early childhood, they don't get it when they're older. So it's just incredibly cool. You know, someone says, well, you guys are kind of making overboard here. No, if the Eucharist is Jesus Christ, let's act like it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's it's, it's yeah. not difficult. It's not rocket science. No. If he's God and he's yeah. in the Eucharist, and he is the Eucharist, that's right. Uh, then we we should be acting accordingly. Uh, the next section we'll take it on the next. We'll be talking next about uh, Saint Alphonsus Liguori, doctor of the he, church. He, yeah, yeah. He talks about lack of Eucharistic faith. So we'll see what he has to say, and then we'll make some concluding remarks. And there's some incredible pictures there. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, pick, talk about a picture speaking a thousand words. Mm. Uh, there's a, we have a call to action section and uh, what is to be done. So that's what we'll cover in the next segment, Terry. Well said. Hey, are you excited as I am about talking about Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament? I sure hope you are because I'm going to tell you, it's a taste of heaven every time we get to receive Holy Communion mm. because it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back after a very quick break. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, Here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Before Jesse gets into St. Alphonsus Liguori, I know Jess and I have hundreds of stories about tragedies that take place with reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. I'm just going to give you one, though, how confused people are on the real presence. This happened in 1988 at St. Christopher's Catholic Church mm. in West Covina. The extraordinary minister of the Eucharist didn't understand that when they were running out of sacred hosts that were consecrated, that she thought she could just go in and take unconsecrated hosts out of a cellophane bag and put them into a ciboria and take them back out so that the priests and extraordinary ministers could give out Holy Communion. And you see, that is tragic that she doesn't understand the difference between a consecrated host and an unconsecrated host. Now, Jess, I was at... Notre Dame, and I'll just give one last one, back in 1979 when I was at a monastery in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, we went to a youth rally, and my, uh, well, the leader, Brother Francis Mary, showed us the altar where particles of the hosts were sitting on the altar after the mass of 10,000 young people, and we were doing adoration. He taught me, get down on your knees right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm just a young 20-year-old kid. What, what are we doing? We're adoring Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. This is a liturgical abuse. This has been going on for 60 years, Jesse, and I know you've got stories after me also, but the point I'm trying to make is that's what we want to instill in people, the reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. Let's get into St. Alphonsus now. Yep, here's what the doctor of the church says. The power of the priest, says St. Bernardine of Siena, mm -hmm. is the power of the divine person yeah. for the transubstantiation of the bread requires as much power as the creation of the world. With regard to the power of the priests over the real body of Jesus Christ, it is a faith that when they pronounce the words of consecration, the incarnate word has obliged himself to obey and to come into their hands under the sacramental species. We are struck with wonder. 
when we hear that God obeyed the voice of Joshua, the Lord obeying the voice of man, and made the sun stand when he said, Move not, O sun, towards Gabion, and the sun st- stood still. Mm. But our wonder should be far greater than when we find that in obedience to the words of his priest, hoc es corpus meum, God himself descends on the altar, that he comes wherever they call him, and as often as they call him, and places himself in their hands, even though they should be his enemies. After having come, he remains entirely at their disposal. They move him as they please from one place to another, and they may, if they wish, shut him up in the tabernacle, mm-hmm. or expose him on the altar, or carry him outside the church. They may, if they choose, eat his flesh and give him, give him for the food of others. St. Lawrence Justinian said it was not necessary for the Redeemer to die in order to save the world. A drop of his blood, a single tear of prayer was sufficient to procure salvation for all. For such a prayer, being of infinite value, should be sufficient to save not one, but a thousand worlds. It is heresy to argue that communion in the mouth spreads disease and pandemics. Mm. Jesus can't get sick because he has a risen, glorious body, which is indestructible, incorruptible, unaffirmable. Two, Jesus has the healing touch. It doesn't matter if saliva left in the fingers of the priest from the prior communicant gets in your mouth. People were healed just by touching him. Jesus even used his saliva to cure. Three, there's not a single medical record of anyone getting sick for communicating in the mouth, not even for going to mass. Those priests who got sick during the pandemic COVID from other sources, like delivery food or going to the supermarket. Four, God doesn't want anybody to have an excuse to access the graces of grace, since curing the soul is more important than curing the body, and hell is worse than any disease on earth. Mm. There's, there's a need of, a con, of an uncontagion dogma. The COVID pandemic showed a widespread lack of faith in the sterility of the sacraments and incontagiability through access to the sources of grace. In conclusion, yes. in 1999, Pope Francis, then Archbishop Bergoglio, ordered the lab analysis of the last miracle uh, that's in the picture here, miracle number eight. But it is presumed that he was hidden, That, it, but it is presumed that he has hidden or was hidden the prior ones. Why? Because they vanished or were the or, or were vanished just as the photos and because he never reacted to the deep implications for the church due to communion in the hand Jesus is being thrown down to the ground trodden and kicked around the eucharistic crumbles are not being safeguarded for example in Vatican II masses this doesn't happen in the traditional and orthodox rites because they only allow the tongue yep. in fact Banning communion in the hand would be a step towards unity Amen. in Christendom. Of course. Imagine the horror you'd feel if someone drops a newborn, a newly born baby in a moving crowd, yet nobody cares while stepping on the poor harmless baby. We are crushing Jesus and nobody does anything to stop torturing God. Throughout the history of the church, all Eucharistic miracles happen to point out lack of faith in the real presence or, an, or a Eucharistic abuse. Great point. The crumb miracle was made by Jesus to teach us... Mm-hmm. That he is physically present in each Eucharistic crumb and that when communicating on the hand, people are inadvertently tossing Jesus around and then treading on him. Even those who know this and communicate on the tongue with reverence can't avoid stepping on him because of the crumb trail left by the others when returning to the benches. Boy, oh boy, if you can see the pictures that me and Terry are looking at oh, yeah. in the article, uh, an image is worth a thousand words. Uh it's it got yeah, it got it got Jesus 
laying on on uh, in front oh of the sanctuary gosh. in a Catholic church, and all kinds of bloody footsteps all around him. Wow! And and, and all kinds of uh, bloody footmarks over trampling his body. Then right after that, you got another picture of the soldiers and the Passion of the Christ that were kicking Jesus around, uh, and there's blood all over. It looks like we're no better than those brutal soldiers. When Cardinal Robert Seurat, this is important. Prefect for the former prefect for the CDF yep. and discipline of the sacraments called for Catholics to start receiving the host kneeling and on the tongue, which he says is more suited to the sacrament. Truly, the war between Michael and his angels on one side and Lucifer on the other continues in the heart of the faithful. Satan's target is the sacrifice of the Mass and the real presence of Jesus in the consecrated host. So, what's our call to action item? This abuse has to stop. Please have mercy on Jesus. Our Lord revealed to St. Faustina in her diary, recommended by many saints, paragraph 1317. If a soul does not exercise mercy somehow or other, it will not obtain my mercy on the day of judgment. Oh, if only souls knew how to, how to gather eternal treasures for themselves, they would not be judged, for they would forestall my judgment with their mercy. Paragraph 742. I require you to make acts of mercy, which, you are, to, which are to come from your love for me, you are always and everywhere to show mercy unto your neighbors. You may not with, withdraw, excuse, or absolve yourselves from this. I'm giving you three ways of performing mercy to your neighbors. First, by deed. Second, by word. And third, by prayer. These three levels cover the full scope of my mercy. It is unshakable evidence that a soul loves me. This is how the soul praises and honors my mercy. Of course, neighbors includes Jesus in the Eucharist. <laughs> the Eucharist is also the physical person of Christ. So what's to be done? Communicate on the tongue. Okay? Uh, there's, it's too long to get into the paragraph because we're running out of time. Number two, pray and offer mortifications. Reparation. Number, yeah, reparation. Uh, and, and number three, explain this to everyone communicating in the hand and especially to priests who don't obey the rubrics yep. and indications about how to treat the Eucharist. By giving communion in the hand, without guaranteeing that every single particle enters the mouth, they are not obeying the church's instructions about communicating entirely in front of the distributor and about not allowing anybody to walk away with the Eucharist. And this includes all the tiny Eucharistic particles. Because it's the law of the church... A priest doesn't even need the per bishop's permission to demand the hand communicants to purify their hands with water, just like the priests are expected to do after distributing communion in order to gather all the, all the particles. After making sure that enough time has passed for the particles to no longer be bread, uh, Jesus is not there anymore when the, when the crumbs bread turn into wet dough putty. The water with the, crumb, with the crumbs should be poured where nobody will ever step over, for example, a flower pot. Also, you can explain that communion in the mouth reduces the risk of stealing the host for Eucharistic desecrations. Uh, finally, if you notice that they don't use a communion plate in the distribution, you could offer yourself as a volunteer and hold it during communion, explaining that the Missal and Redemptionists uh, mandate its use. Passing the tray from person to person increases the odds of Jesus being thrown away. In sum, if you're in charge of the Eucharist, Please ban communion in the hand, or at least order to purify the hands in water before and especially immediately after communicating adequately, disposing it untrodden uh, it in untrodden ground. Two, if you're forced to communicate in the hand, at least lick the Eucharistic particles in your hand and fingers. Three, teaching is a work of mercy. Please, please teach others about the horror of careless communion in the hand.
Uh, and uh, the uh, the author says, I'm writing an article proving there are more graces ex opera, ex opera operato in adoring Eucharistic Jesus in the monstrance than in the tabernacle. If you have an authoritative quote, for example, from magisterium and tradition, including the Father's Saints liturgy or from the Bible, proving more worship proving more worship leads to more graces or even economic progress, please write to f uh, period nazar at gmail.com subject adoremos. He says, I'm also writing another article about Mary's physical presence in the Eucharist. Uh, yeah, good stuff, Terry. Excellent, right. excellent. You can get that on our show page for this article. It would be very important to get. And, you know, my final thoughts on this Eucharistic piety is that the, the it's, you know, we can talk about communion in the hand. That's one. Another one is ad orientum. Just have the priest facing the tabernacle and not the people also helps us understand what takes place at the altar. Um, let's be honest. We've got too many entertainers who've been to Mass yeah. where the guy's cracking jokes or the priest is, doesn't understand his role is not to be the entertainer. His role is to give us Christ. And it's a, a really good way and I think uh, Cardinal Siras said at the same time, not only Holy Communion, not only on the, on the, uh, uh, in the tongue, he also said for Lent, this was about seven or eight years, no, this was about eight years ago, he said, let's change and start after, for, for after Lent, start having ad orientum masses. And unfortunately, Jesse, I'll be honest, he got overread. The Pope, they met, they, the Pope said, no, we're not going to do that. You're in charge, but nope, and he's right, but you know what? He did what he thought was best, and God will judge him on that. That's my take. I hear the music, yep. Jess. What state should we be living in, brother? Last time I checked, let's live in a state of grace. Last time I checked, don't live in a state of mortal sin. Be holy or die trying. And remember, let's bring Jesus back into everything. Let's bring him back into our country, into our government, into our schools, and most especially back in our church, Terry. Amen. And remember Our Lady at Fatima talked about reparation to the Holy Eucharist. Remember the angel holding up the host? I remember that vision in 1916. Well, think about that and go make reparation before the Blessed Sacrament. I had the opportunity at 5 this morning to do that. It was an honor. Why? Because it's Jesus Christ. It's good time management. Spend some time before our Eucharistic King. I want to thank everybody who gives us the opportunity to give us this mic to talk about Jesus Christ and the Eucharist. Thank you so much, and may God richly bless you and your family. Up next, the Bishop Strickland Hour.